You know, it's been a, a crazy couple years. I don't know about you, but I often ask the question, Lord, like, what have you been up to? Like, you look how he shut the entire church down around the globe in one pandemic. God, what are you up to? We look at the elections. We look at the racial tensions, which you don't find as much of a problem here, but you see it on the news. We look at the political tensions. We look at all the things that are going on, and you wonder the question, like, God, why has it been so hard? Like, God, what what are you trying to do, not just around me, but in me? And one of the things that I have found in this last season is that God is trying to create a new desperation in his people because life seemed to be just a little bit too easy and a little bit too cranial Christianity or westernized Christianity. And maybe he wants to get us back to a place where we depend on him in a new dimension. Because maybe he just doesn't just want to make you happy or whole or fulfilled, but maybe he's actually put you here on planet earth to make a mark. And in order to make a mark, he needs your full attention. And when we look at where we're at today, every single person in this room, listen, you are here by divine design. You are not an accident. You're not a mistake. God created you, it says in Ephesians 1, that he, that he created you or knew you before the foundations of the world that he had you in mind. Psalm 139 tells me that you are fearfully and wonderfully made. God directs our steps. And so God has done his part to create us and to place us in this city, in this church, in this time, with this stuff going on all around us to make a mark. He's done his part. Maybe it's time we do our part. And in order for us to actually see the fulfillment of why we're here sucking earth, it requires us to understand what it actually means to make a mark. Like, what does that look like is for your own life? Like, what are you hoping to accomplish? Why are you here? When you lay your head on your pillow tonight, can you look back and say, I accomplished something today of eternal significance? Or did you just miss the whole reason today why you were here living in, under the sun, natural, temporal, carnal thinking? I believe God's trying to get our attention. And I put together this definition, and I want to put it on the screen, because this is what I believe making your mark is. It's, it's, to, it's accomplished by one who recognizes that challenges, trials, and tragedies are a guaranteed ingredient of life. How many are excited about that? Thank you, Pastor Mark. You get beat up, and you get to go to heaven. And that through Christ and the Spirit's surpassing power, I'll be talking about that tomorrow morning, that they can overcome anything that tries to hinder them from making their mark. Like God has you here for a reason. He wants to come encourage you, empower you, strengthen you, direct you, guide you, comfort you, so that you can do something significant for him. And if there's ever any person in the Bible that made their mark, it would be a guy named Daniel, and we find him in the Old Testament. 
And here was a guy that understood what it meant to thrive in a culture that opposed everything that he stood for. And as I look at his life, we see that he was dropped into a place called Babylon, one of the most secular, polyistic, pluralistic, anti-God pagan cultures. But for some reason, he made a mark. We're talking about him thousands of years later, even tonight, because of the mark that he made and the way he actually impacted an entire nation. And if you have your Bibles, if you'd open up to Daniel chapter 2, I want to look at just a small, small part of his life. And this is a portion of Daniel's story that reveals a very tense time in his life. At this point, he's still a late teen or a teenager. He has been actually captured and brought into Babylon. He's now in exile. And they're beginning to work on him to try to take away his identity. They're trying, they, they've changed his name, and they're trying to change his behavior. Just like society does with you and me. And at this time, King Nebuchadnezzar, which is really represents somewhat the spirit of the age, a pagan king, he has this dream, and he's deeply disturbed by it. And he says to all of the sorcerers and enchanters, listen, if you don't interpret this dream, you die. And the sad part of this story, at least for a moment, is that no one can interpret his dream. And so there is a decree that is made that all of the enchanters and sorcerers and magicians and everything, that they are to be tortured and put to death, that they're going to be cut to pieces, including Daniel and including Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. How many have had a decree on their life this week saying someone's coming out to kill you because of your faith? I mean, like, this, this is a tense time. And what we see in this story is that there was great fear, great anxiety, there was hopelessness, turmoil that was taking place within their ranks. But we see something happen with Daniel's life that I believe is a word for you and me tonight. And I, I want to talk about this and look at some truths that are pertinent for us. Like, how do we make a mark in our Babylonian culture today? But the first thing that I want to do as we talk about this, I want to talk just for a moment about our culture today because it's very parallel to the time of Babylon and Daniel. And as we look at our culture today, we find that it's inundated with fear. How many would agree with that? I mean, just the fear and the hatred and the strife and the division Daniel chapter 2, verse 1, as we go to the Word, it says this, In the second year of his reign, Nebuchadnezzar had dreams, and listen, his mind was troubled, and he could not sleep. So goes the leader, so goes the nation. And if you go back and you study the historical context of this time, the entire nation was troubled. People weren't sleeping. There was great fear. There was hopelessness amongst all of the people. It's interesting because we see that God, hindsight 2020 vision, we see that God actually created this unrest. I'm wondering if God is actually stirring and creating some unrest today so that the church will become what the church is supposed to be. (laughs) 
And what we see is that the king and the entire nation, they had their own gods, their own beliefs, their own practices. And that's exactly what happens to a nation that's far from God. As we begin to see division, hopelessness, immorality, you look throughout Scripture and you find when a nation turns from God, all hell breaks loose. And it sounds like our world today, the trouble, the trouble uh, situations that we're facing, the, the restlessness everywhere that we look. And it's interesting today because our modern day pagan interpreters are trying to interpret what's going on. The government, the media, TikTok, social media, everybody has an opinion. You can't go anywhere. You watch The View. I don't. <laughs> it seems like everyone has an opinion as to what's going on. And because they aren't like Daniel, and because they don't understand the premise in which God is beginning to stir his people, they become a lot like the society that is all confused. In fact, what you see as you look today the American Psychiatric Association did a recent poll and they found that nearly two-thirds of Americans today are extremely or somewhat anxious about health and safety for themselves, their families, and more than one-third are more anxious overall this year than last year. Anxiety disorders are now considered the most common mental illness affecting over 38 million adults in our country. 10% of our population is like the time of Daniel. Barnes and Noble says that there's a 25% jump in one year on books regarding anxiety. In fact, one press release just came out and said America must, must be the most anxious nation on the planet. This is really important to understand because this is the culture in which you and I live. And if we're not careful, what we can do is we can allow culture to shape us versus us shape culture. Like we can allow our circumstances to dictate our faith instead of our faith dictating our circumstances. And what you see in this time of what's happening is, is that the enemy's trying to change your identity. He's trying to change what it means to be a Christian, a believer. Your position, your authority, your proclamation. He's doing a pretty good job at changing many people's behavior. We live a life of dualism. What we sing on Saturday night isn't necessarily what we live the rest of the week. D.L. Moody once said, Christians don't tell lies, they just sing them. Right? I surrender all, I surrender. And then all of a sudden we go out, we don't surrender nothing. We let people in through our living room on our TV, we'd never let in through our front door. And life goes on, we live this life of dualism. Why? It's because culture is doing what it did back then, is trying to change who you're supposed to be. And if you do that, you miss making a mark. And here's a couple traits of people that miss their mark. First of all, and I'm sure this is no one in this room. We're talking about other Christians throughout the planet. You can become a separatist. What I mean by that is, is that you allow fear 
to, uh, to, to encompass your life, and you just want to get to a place where you self-preserve. Like you want to escape from society. It's like, I don't want to mingle with this icky, evil world. I just want to do me and my family, us for no more community church. Forget the world. We just want to do Jesus in our setting. And we become a separatist. Or we can become a conformist. Like, we don't want people to know that we're Jesus. We're not wearing the trust Jesus shirt because we don't want to be one of those people that society says are wackos. So we just want to kind of slide in and we want to conform and we want to be a part of what's going on so that we can be loved and accepted and feel good. Or we can become an antagonist. Man, we're going to yell and scream at everything that's wrong, and we would rather be right than lead people to Jesus. So we're going to make sure that everybody knows the way we vote and the way we think and the way... I'm sorry, I'm in Idaho, but I'm just saying that somehow your political persuasion is more important than your kingdom persuasion. And we can become an antagonist. And I say that because I'm from Portland, meaning if I want to stand up personally for what is my right in regards to my political persuasion, I'll never reach an entire city that I was called to reach. That doesn't mean that I don't have convictions, but the manner in which, which we'll see in a moment, that we go about doing it is really important. What God wants us to be is to be a catalyst, is that we understand that those that are going to make a mark live a life like Daniel. And that's what I want to talk about tonight. And I want to look at these four truths that Daniel lived out that I believe is a prophetic, critical word for this hour that every single one of us need to live out in our lives. And here's the first thing that we see with Daniel is, is that Daniel, if you're going to make a mark, you need to stand confident in your position. In other words, you need to know who you are in Christ, why you're here sucking air on planet earth, and behave that way. You need to stand in your proclamation. Daniel's situation was really tough. He was going to be killed, but his God was tougher. He understood that God plus one equals the majority. And we see in this story, the king is desperate, he's hostile, he's not thinking straight. And it says in Daniel chapter 2, verses 12 through 14, speaking about no one being able to interpret the dream, it says, this made the king so angry and furious that he ordered the execution of all of the wise men of Babylon. So the decree was issued to put the wise men to death. It's interesting, listen to this. And men were sent to look for Daniel and his friends. In other words, the devil knows who you are. You're, as Peter said at one time in 1 Peter 4.12, he says, Think it not strange when fiery trials come upon you as if some strange thing is happening to you. You should be expecting resistance if you're doing something for him. D.L. Moody once said that if you haven't been resisted today, maybe you're walking in the wrong direction. <laughs> Pastor Mark, please, please lighten up a little bit. Okay, good. 
But it says that they were to look for them to put them to death. And listen, when Arioch, the commander of, of the king's guard, had gone out to put them to death, the wise men of Babylon, Dan, listen to this, Daniel spoke to him with wisdom and tact. He stood, he understood who he was, and he knew how and why to stand in a proper manner. And as I think about our culture, there's no doubt that we are living in an increasingly resistant culture to biblical values. I wish I had time to talk about that more. But it's a time where we just don't need to be loud, where we, but we need to understand the time and season in which we live, and we need to move with wisdom and with tact. And making your mark, if you're going to make your mark, you have, to, you, have to, you have to understand this. You have to be confident in your position, your authority. We have to recognize that we're heirs of God, we're joint heirs of Christ, we're ambassadors. There should be a confidence that comes upon you that no matter where you're at, that God is with you. He's going to give you the right words to speak, the right actions to live out, and that you move forward understanding, as it says in Romans 8, those that are led by the Spirit of God, these are the Son of God. God, you want me to talk to this person? Would you like me to pray? God, like we've got to live with our minds set on things above, not below. But it comes with understanding who you are. You are not just a natural being having a temporal supernatural experience. You are a supernatural being having a temporal natural experience. And you need to walk in that. I remember years ago, I was in New York City with some friends. I was speaking at a church there, and we decided to go down into Chinatown, get some food. And we were walking by this, uh, this one row of stores and these big glass windows of this jewelry store. And on this wall were pictures of hundreds of movie stars. So I told the guy, I said, let's go in. So we go in, and there's a lady behind the counter, and I started seeing all the pictures. There's Burt Reynolds and Dolly Parton, and there's John Wayne, and there's... Robert Redford and all of these different famous people. And I said to the lady behind the counter, I said, who are these people? She goes, oh, these are very, very important people. Oh, okay. And I said to her, where's my picture? She laughed, I didn't. And she goes, who are you? And I said, wrong question. Who are they? She goes, who are you? I said, my name's Mark Estes. I'm an heir of God. I'm a joint heir of Christ. I'm part of the kingdom of God. She goes, get out of here, crazy man. Get out of here, crazy man. She says, get out of my store. And we laughed together and had a fun time. But, you know, it's just like I'm standing there and somehow we lift up people and lift up politicians and all these people that make us feel average and small and insignificant. We have to recognize who we are. Stand confident. I'm a child of God. I'm not an accident. I'm significant. God, you placed me here in my neighborhood to be an ambassador for the people around me. You placed me in my business. God, you have me working where you have me working. You put me at this restaurant today. You put me through Starbucks to get a coffee on the way here so I could witness to the lady to come tomorrow. I mean, we have to recognize who we are and why he has us where he has us. Wow. 
Here's the second thing, and I'm going to jump ahead on a bunch of slides, guys. So here's the second thing. If we're going to make our mark, we not only just need to stand confident in our positions, but we need to be concrete in our priorities. Daniel 2.16, it says, at this, again, he's going to be killed, and it says, at this, Daniel went into, doesn't say he ran from, he went into the king and asked for time so that he might interpret the dream for him. He didn't run from the battle. He wasn't a separatist. He ran into the battle. He was a catalyst. And it's interesting to see that what he spoke was the word of God. He understood his beliefs and he understood his behaviors. I believe that the greatest existential threat to the body of Christ today is biblical illiteracy. And he understood, he knew that his beliefs, number one, he had to understand his beliefs and what they were, but he also knew that if he didn't understand them and then act them out in his life, it really was a fantasy that he was living. And I have a diagram here, and we've, we've used this often over the last couple months, even with our church. We all have to have right orthodoxy. Orthodoxy is right beliefs. You have to know the word as the foundation of your life. But equally as important, you need to have what's called orthopraxy, meaning that you have to actually live out the things that you believe. If you're going to make your mark, you have to have right beliefs and right actions which lead to right living, which means you can now make a mark because you understand your purpose and you understand why you're here. So therefore, you recognize that your life's not your own, that you were bought with a price, that I've got to take up my cross daily, that I should be witnessing to people, that I should be giving and serving. As you take a Thanksgiving offering today, you recognize that what's in your pocket is not your own and you begin to live out everything that you believe. And if we're not careful, careful, what happens is the opposite is true. A lack of knowledge and a lack of wrong living equals missing your mark. And I see this so often today. And our, our priorities, our life has to be grounded in biblical truth. Especially when you look at the cultural wars. Like how do we even survive with all of the immorality and transgenderism and things that are coming our way. Listen, we better know what we believe. And if we're not going to only stand confident in our position, we need to be concrete in our priorities. If we're going to make a mark, we need to understand that. And and I want want to just say this, is that in order for us to make a mark in a post-Christian, pluralistic, secular culture, his entire moral order, his word, his, the truth, must be the immovable framework that holistically rules our lives, rules our lives. And these immovable and unchangeable truths must rule the way that we think and behave. I, I just prophesy with my eyes open. This is a season where God is trying to get our attention to start living holy, pure, kingdom lives. 
And he's getting our attention. The only hope for America at this point is going to be the church. It's not going to be whether Trump's reelected or someone else is reelected or whether Biden's reelected or what. Like, that has nothing to do with what's going to happen with our nation. There's a kingdom, and there's a king. His name's Jesus. And Jesus is the one through his people that will bring the transformation of culture because you can never change the voting of people till you change the hearts of people. So we just want to fight on some kind of mind game, but what we need to do is we need to change the hearts of people. The only way that you change the hearts of people is the church going out and helping people understand how their life is broken and hopeless so they can have an encounter with Jesus to transform their life, to now live a godly life, to make our country better. Here's the third thing to make your mark. You have to be courageous in your proclamation. Verses 24 through 28, it says, Therefore Daniel went into Arioch, whom the king had appointed to destroy the wise men of Babylon. He went in and said, he, he proclaimed, he was courageous. Do not destroy the wise men of Babylon. He says, bring me before the king. And I will show the king the interpretation. I love this guy. Because he understood what he believed, because there was an anointing upon his life, because he understood why he was created, he knew that being even sent to Babylon was not a setback, but a set up. And so he was in that moment taking the opportunity to proclaim truth. It says, then Arioch brought in Daniel before the king in haste and said to him, I have found among the exiles from Judah a man who will make known to the king the interpretation. Then the king said to Daniel, whose name was Belteshazzar, are you able to interpret the dream that I have seen? Daniel answered, I love this, and this proves that he understood who he was and who he wasn't. No wise man, enchanter, magician, astrologer, politician, media, entertainment, social media person, YouTube sensation. No one can show to the king the mystery that the king's asked. But there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries and he has made known to the king Nebuchadnezzar what will be. Now that's prophecy. What will be in the latter days. And I love the fact that here's a guy that is confident, courageous. He knows his belief system. He's, he's confident in his position. He's concrete in his priorities. And it gives him now the platform to speak in humility, in, in courage, and also in love. And I love this because, do you notice how Daniel never fights against the system? He tried to get in their corner, not corner them. Do you notice how Paul, when he said in Romans 13, to pray for those in authority, that at that time Nero, the fifth and final emperor, had two gay young boy slaves that he had married in dresses? He didn't say go fight him. He said pray for him. Yeah. 
It doesn't mean that he didn't confidently proclaim, but he knew that in doing so, in, in, he understood the difference between unconditional love and uncompromising truth. And those have to coexist. I remember a few years ago, we had a family move in across the street and it was a, they actually became friends of mine, a wonderful gay couple, Alan Russell. They had five adopted developmentally disabled kids. I have adopted two developmentally disabled boys. I went down to the mailbox the very first time that I saw them because I wanted to go out and to introduce myself. And I said, hey, how you doing, Al? My name's Mark. Heard you moved into the city. He goes, oh, you're the, you're the preacher that lives over there? I said, today I'm just your neighbor. My name's Mark. I said, tell me about your kids. And he began to tell me all about his kids. I told him about my kids. And something broke. It doesn't mean that I actually agreed in any way with his lifestyle. But I know that God moved him into the neighborhood so that I might win him to Christ. I was confident in my proclamation. I said to Al, I said, hey, this weekend's Easter. We do this monster Easter egg hunt at our house. We do a big brunch. We invite people over and stuff. Why don't you bring your boys over? And he goes, would you, would you really do that? I said, yeah, why don't you come over? So he goes, we'll be there. So I ran into the house. I told my wife, I said, listen, man, I invited uh, Al and Russell and the boys over to our big Easter brunch. She goes, we don't have an Easter brunch. I said, we do now. <laughs> like, like we're having one now. Like we're doing a big Easter egg hunt, man. I just set this whole thing up, you know. And if you know my wife, she's just like, man, I just can't, can't. Jesus, help him. But it was a moment. I was confident in my proclamation. Let me just say something. The ultimate sign of spiritual maturity is seeing the image of God in the one that you like the least. Like if you, if you want to say, am I making a mark? Like what's my spiritual maturity? Jesus lived this way. Spiritual maturity is seeing the image of God in the one you like the least. On the flip side, the greatest sign of immaturity is pointing out the evil in others while denying the same in yourself. Come on, Jesus, help us to proclaim in love without compromising our truth. It's what the world's looking for. Lastly, with this, and I'm done. If you want to make your mark, we need to celebrate God's promises. I read the back of the book, we win. <laughs> He's coming back for a glorious, triumphant church. Last time I read, it says that Jesus was building his church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And I love that Daniel accurately interprets the dream and the result is that the entire nation was impacted. Check this out, verses 46 through 49. Then Keb King Nebuchadnezzar, Kebanet is the Hebrew word for king. Just kidding. That's how preachers cover their blunder. But then King Nebuchadnezzar fell on his face and paid homage to Daniel and commanded that an offering 
and incense be offered up to him. The king answered and said to Daniel, Truly, your God is God of gods and Lord of kings and a revealer of mysteries, for you have been able to reveal this mystery. Then the king gave Daniel high honors, many great gifts, made him ruler over the whole province of Babylon. He would now, over four different rulers, be a ruler. He understood his position, his proclamation, his priorities, and God set him in a most beautiful place. And he went on to say, and by the way, I want to bring my friends along, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And they were set in over the affairs of the province of Babylon. I love it says, but Daniel remained at the king's court. This is one of the greatest Old Testament awakenings ever recorded in history. That a pagan king would force an entire nation to serve the king of kings and the Lord of lords. What did Daniel do? He made a mark. I finish where we begin tonight. Are you making a mark? Have you thought about it? Are you passionate about it? Are you willing to give your life for it? We're living in some of the most volatile, horrific times. God's counting on us. He's placed you here in this hour, in this day, in this church, in this city, at your business, in your neighborhood, to make a mark. Not to just get by, not to be a separatist, not to be a conformist, not to be an antagonist. And I wonder what it would look like in this beautiful church filled with wonderful people. Let me just go on the record in saying this. You are making one of the most significant marks as a church in this region that I've seen through... In many churches all over the nation. You're making a mark. But I'm talking about you specifically, just like, God, help me to make a mark of my life. Would you bow your head and would you close your eyes? And I just want to give an opportunity just real quickly while every eye is closed and every head is bowed. If there's any person that walked into this place today and Maybe you're at a place where you know and sense that you're far from God and you realize that you desperately, desperately need to get things right. You might be tired of doing it on your own. You might feel separated, lonely, hopeless. Let me tell you today that there is a king that loves you. Jesus died for you. He wants to forgive you. He wants to not only give you a new start, but he wants to make you a new creation. The Bible says that all things pass away. Behold, all things become new. And if you're here this, this, this evening and you've never prayed that prayer, Jesus, be my Lord and be my Savior. Or maybe you're here and you've prayed that before, before but you know that you're far from him. Can I just ask you, beg you, to just tonight to get your life right with him. And if that's you, would you just do me a favor, say, Pastor Mark, tonight's my night. Just raise your hand, eyes closed, heads bowed. And just raise your hand and say, Pastor Mark, today I need to get my life right with Jesus. 
Anybody at all that would do that? Just lift your hand. Thank you, ma'am. Anyone else at all? Thank you in the back. Anyone else at all? Just lift their hand. Thank you, Jesus. Lord, we do thank you for, Lord, these few people, those that would even be online. Lord, we thank you. Lord, your word says all the angels in heaven rejoice when someone gives their life to you, Jesus. Lord, we pray that you come and touch them, bless them in the mighty name of Jesus. And if you do me a favor, if you did raise your hand over in the far corner, your right, my left, you'll see lit up cross over there. Do me a favor and make your way over there. We'd love to just pray with you for a moment right after the service. Let me ask you just one more thing and I'm done. All eyes open, every head up. Different kind of altar call. If you're here today and you're saying, I want a fresh touch of the Holy Spirit in my life. I want to make a difference. I want to make a mark. I need your help. I need to be empowered. I need you to help me make a difference with my life. And you would want me to pray for you. Just slip your hand up wherever you're at. All eyes open, every head up. I'm going to put two up. Just keep your hands extended and let me pray. Jesus, we thank you that you've allowed us the wonderful privilege, Father, to be your hands and your feet, your mouth to a desperate and dying world. Lord, I just pray, God, we believe in, in, Lord, just impartation. And Lord, I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would come and you would fall upon every person. God, we pray for a divine shift, a divine empowerment. Like the upper room, there was a rushing mighty wind that moved someone that denied Christ three times to a person that would preach and 3,000 people would be saved. God, we're praying for that kind of anointing, a powerful wind of God to come and to touch us, invade our lives, remove complacency, remove any apathy, remove any fear and anxiety. God, I pray for anybody suffering with any kind of depression or discouragement, any kind of PTSD from this last season. I speak faith. I speak hope. I speak life. I speak purpose. I speak destiny. Lord, over every life in this place. And Lord, we trust you that the end result will be, like Daniel, we will make our mark upon all of those around us. And if you agree with that prayer, give Jesus a big old hand. Come on, amen. Amen.